As we all know a little too well, in March of 2020, the world changed. Governments and municipalities and public health officials enacted shelter-in-place orders to protect us from the spread of COVID-19. People reacted in a variety of ways. Some made the best of it by using the time to learn some new skills. Some have taken to baking bread and others to canning food or growing victory gardens. Now, a lot of these skills were attempted and acquired out of necessity, including dog grooming. When commercial dog groomers were forced to temporarily shut their doors for public safety, our long-haired dogs suffered the consequence. So, dog owners with the best of intentions invested in grooming tools and watched videos on YouTube and learned the difference between the kennel cut and the teddy bear cut, all to keep our dogs looking and feeling their best. Although, looking their best is debatable. Post after post on social media prove that many of us have not quite mastered the art of dog grooming. Joining me today is Shelley Ross, an Emmy Award-winning broadcast news executive and former longtime executive producer of ABC's Good Morning America. But she'll be the first to tell you that her current project is her most important. Shelley is the author of Scruffy, our loyal pandemic pooches and the good, the bad, and the crazy haircuts that we gave them. Shelley recognized an opportunity in the gallery of pandemic cuts that she found online, a way to raise money for the Cure Alliance, a nonprofit organization of top global scientists who are researching COVID-19 treatments. 100% of profits from the sale of her book go directly to that research. Shelley believes that these attempts at home grooming and the wacky results that she's documented are a metaphor for resiliency and hope. But before we get into all of that, I have to find out what floof is. Floof is sort of a made-up word. It's English slang for fluff. But I've hijacked the word to mean the fluff, the hair, or fur that comes off your dog during the pandemic. And I noticed something, a remarkable phenomenon that was happening simultaneously and not coordinated, that people were taking the clippings from their dog's hair on the floor and turning them into small, medium, and large sculptures art pieces of uh, works of art many of them were smaller versions of their dog they put pictures and those pictures are absolutely gorgeous they look just like their dog if it was a salt and pepper dog they sprinkled it just like their dog the tail was like their dog the hoses were like their dog so people were turning their dog clippings into art pieces, I guess. Was this just a new hobby or a new way for people to express themselves during the pandemic? Or why do you think this became such a big thing? The floof is a phenomenon that happened during the 2020 pandemic when we all sheltered in with our dogs, who became an elixir during very dark, challenging, frightening times. Our dogs were the only ones who were ecstatic to have us home 24-7. And they really 
started to help rescue us. They made it tolerable and even sometimes joyful. I followed this from the very beginning of sheltering in. And then after a few weeks, we were suddenly faced with lovely, friendly dogs rolling over who were completely matted, tangled, and uncomfortable. And we had to take care of them in a new way. For those of us with longer hair dogs, our groomers were also sheltering in and in lockdown. The local pet shops, there was no one to help. All over the world, we saw people going online, watching YouTube videos of how to groom your dog, buying online razors and scissors. We went at it. And the result is a gallery of some great, some bad, and some really crazy pandemic haircuts we gave our poor dogs. In the book, you focus on the art made from floof, but also the, shall we say, interesting haircuts that people gave their dogs. Now, Shelley, I'm guessing that you found something deeper in the images than just the entertainment value of looking at cute dogs with bad haircuts. What really uh, moved me about this spontaneous gallery of floof around the world is that I sat and stared at it for a long time in all these different pictures and realized that this was really a metaphor for us, that people took such pride in even the bad haircuts with their dogs. They wanted to really share with the world that we're resilient, that we're going to take care of business, that we're hopeful, and we were resourceful, and we tried our best. It's extraordinary because um, what you're describing, I thought, was something unique to my own family, where we have two Maltese, and uh, and who are used to getting groomed all the time, and... <laughs> You know, there's a mobile groomer who can, but we we can have the mobile groomer come. And so my wife spent hundreds of dollars, I think, you know, on grooming equipment and so many hours watching YouTube videos. And she has now like a favorite groomer in Texas who like, this is the Maltese groomer. And, and meanwhile, my hair was growing and growing and growing and growing. And finally, after she had, uh, when she was ready to do it with the dog's she practiced on me because that's because clearly the dogs are the important ones. You're not the only one who was used uh, um, as the trial pandemic cut. And we have one dog in the book, Evie, from London. His mom tried it first on her husband. And they, there was a toddler that came running into the room, really upset. What are you doing? What are you doing? And she's saying, no. This is nothing to be afraid of. Look, even Evie, the dog, isn't afraid of the razor. And she put it down towards the, the dog to show that Evie wasn't afraid. But Evie didn't like the noise, jumped up. The razor clipped her, didn't hurt her, but just clipped her hair on the top, giving her an indentation that made Evie look like a piggy bank. I love that picture. Yeah, there there are so many beautiful spreads in this book. I've seen a lot of photo books of dogs, 
but this one really stood out because of the you have beautiful design. Where did you get these dogs? Because they're from all over the world. They're from Europe and Asia and the United States and everywhere. It all started with one friend of mine who posted on Facebook. She posted Lily, and that was on April 2nd. I'll never forget it. And I looked at this dog, this poor thing. It looked like its tail had been run over by a lawnmower. And I thought, oh, my God, poor Lily. I thought, a cautionary tail. T-A-I-L. And I really thought this must be happening all over the world. And I started to surf. And I, I went on social media. I found dogs on Twitter. I found dogs on Facebook. I found dogs on Instagram. But I found it a lot word of mouth. There were just so many. I selected a, a, about 50 dogs who really tell a story. And some of these stories really are cautionary tales. I mean, grooming a long-haired dog isn't easy, as my wife found out with our Maltese, and as the photos in your book prove, but it's necessary. So some of these stories are kind of like public service announcements, aren't they? Some are, are shocking, especially Augie May, the sheepadoodle. And there's a great picture of Augie sitting in the family's favorite leather chair looking like dad watching TV. And then you turn the page for the reveal of what happened to poor Augie. And she still has that gorgeous sheepdog, black and white, shaggy sheepdog head. And her whole little body is shaved. What's really sad is when dogs get that matted close to the skin, it can be dangerous. It can cause infections and you have to do that. It's not a mistake. No, of course it's not a mistake. You're right. But were there other dogs that faced the same fate as Augie May? We have Henry in the book, uh, whose family only shaved the top half of him. Henry actually, maybe that was the matted part, or maybe Henry was fed up. But Henry is like very hairy from the waist down, and it looks like he's wearing work pants. In fact, you point out in the book that this is yoga pants pandemic attire, not work pants. <laughs> did you write all that copy? I did write all the copy, but using a lot of the, you know, the information that people sent me. Oatmeal, who is a sweet little dog that wound up with a mohawk and one ear sticking out and just a mess. Oatmeal's dad actually wrote. This was my first attempt at cutting my dog's hair. It went as about as well as you expected. So I just put that in the dog's voice. Not only is it funny and touching, but you ha you do tie in a historical component to it. Tell me about that, because you have this timeline, the COVID timeline throughout the book. I added the COVID timeline as a gentle reminder. It doesn't hit you over the head. It's sprinkled through the book as a gentle reminder where we were at and how fast this virus literally took over the planet in four months. There's a page in the beginning that, you know, that gives a timeline of, of when it was first discovered in Wuhan, China. And then in the next month, uh, the global death rate, when you read it, 
it was 213 people. And you look at that and you say, oh my goodness, once upon a time, there were only 213 people who died around the world. The book takes place during the first four or five months of the pandemic. So what's an example of a story or picture that would mark an occasion on the timeline from those early days of the pandemic? I have a a dog dressed up on Easter. It reminds us of, you know, wow, we went through Easter in lockdown and there were big debates over whether people could have Easter egg hunts or go to church. And there's this dog, there's Bogey the Dude, a doodle. And the first picture is he's in bunny ears. And it's like, oh, it's Easter. And then you turn the page and you see Bogey actually had two cuts. And he says, she gave me a cut. She washed me. She made me lay down, pretend I was asleep for the picture, and then she got up and cut me again, trimmed me again. The woman was obsessed. Well, you capture their voices. You you understand what the dogs are thinking. That's why I'm saying people were so proud of their work. The picture of Bogey the Doodle, the dude, is so remarkable. It would hang in any gallery. It's Bogey laying down and the floof matching him life-size. It's extraordinary. You have to talk about the dog on the front cover. Oh, I knew that was the cover the second I saw Ash. And Ash is a multi-poo. I guess you're a little partial to that. You've, (laughs) You've disclosed that. And the most gorgeous dog with the tiny little floof ash copy. I saw that picture on Instagram and immediately wrote to the owner, may I use this picture for a book I'm doing that's a fundraiser. It's for a good cause. 100% of the profits go to COVID research of current FDA authorized clinical trials. And I wrote the most heartfelt, I wrote the same, you know, note to mostly everybody. I personalized it a little bit and I never heard back. So I tackled this like an investigative journalist of all these decades. I have family in London and nieces and a sister-in-law and I put them on an investigative team calling groomers in lockdown that must know Ash, the multi-poo. You know, a lot of the groomers were not answering their phones or they were away. Or I had an all-out hardcore press. I was having Ash in my book, if not on the cover. And after all this work, and I'm calling doggy daycare centers, and I forget there was something in her Instagram that gave a a hint of what neighborhood or what she was near. And I was calling places in, you know, dry cleaners, you know, this dog. And finally, she responded to the Instagram. She went on Instagram and simply said, not knowing that, you know, that I had an APB out for her. Sure, it sounds like a great cause. I'd love to help. (laughs) 
Well, it worked out, and that's how you got the cover of your book. Did did anyone not want to participate? Anyone you approached? There were a couple that wanted to make sure I was for real, you know, because I was sending them legal, proper photo releases and, and wanted to make sure this wasn't some internet scam. And it was so easy to check it out because I'm, I am president of the Cure Alliance, which is coordinating, you know, 200 scientists from around the world coming together to sharing knowledge uh, to work on ending suffering caused by COVID-19. Let's talk a little bit about the Cure Alliance and about UCMSC, because while it's a book about floof, it has, as you were saying, a much greater purpose. Yes. The greater purpose of this book is that 100% of all profits, all profits, I mean, not a stapler gets written off against this. It all goes to the Cure Alliance, which got together a mini Manhattan project amongst our scientists, about 16 of them from China, from Italy, from all across the world, got together in Zoom calls, and they believed because of their past research experiences in all different fields. We're talking pulmonary experts, diabetes experts, critical care experts, all had worked with umbilical cord derived mesenchymal stem cells, which works as a, an anti-inflammatory. And they all thought, they all came together and said, maybe this can help the lung inflammation that is snowballing, causing literally people to die. And if they can stop that from progressing, they may have an important treatment. Wow. It's interesting that a doctor researching diabetes treatments may have unlocked a secret to treating COVID. Tell me about that. The principal investigator, who was also the founder of the Cure Alliance 10 years ago, Dr. Camillo Ricordi, is one of the foremost diabetes experts in the world. He's from Italy, and he was in touch with all the Italian doctors who had all the, the surges first. And he had been using the UCMSCs in his diabetes research for three years to try and tamp down inflammation of the pancreas, which happens in diabetes. He was having a difficult time when he was researching diabetes because he noticed that UCMSCs have a natural direct migration to the lungs. So when this pandemic broke, he thought, well, I've known for three years that they want to rush to the lung. And if they're going to repair tissue, they'll repair tissue right, right there. It'll happen really fast. So by April 9th, we had FDA authorization for a small clinical trial for UCMSCs in, in a randomized trial, the strictest gold standard. I'm sure a big undertaking like an FDA authorized clinical trial requires a lot of money to get off the ground. We did raise nearly $5 million for the clinical trial. And I believe that this clinical trial is going to have great results and I still need to raise money because when the results come in, we're going to have to scale production. We want to distribute it. I knew if it works, 
it's the beginning of our fundraising. We'll need to raise $30 million, which might even be easier than raising money for a clinical trial. But I also realized we're up against so many important once-in-a-lifetime causes. Getting N95 masks to frontline workers, getting food to food banks. I I can't tell you that something is more important than the next. We all wish we could give to everybody. And I, I really think that it's hard to give to a randomized FDA authorized trial because people don't realize that these scientists have to raise their own money. You put something in this book to help people document and maybe later on process their own experience of living through the pandemic. Can you talk a little bit about that and the inspiration behind it? It's a, a heartwarming book. It's so much more than crazy haircuts. That would be easy to throw together a book of crazy haircuts. This takes you through emotionally challenging times. And in the end, I have a place where people can keep a personal journal of COVID. You know, I was inspired by this, honestly, by I have a 100-year-old English mother-in-law. From the day I met her, all I wanted to do, she was a teenager during World War II in London, and all I wanted to do was ask her questions, what was it like to be in the London bombing as a teenager? And she had five sisters, and she told me amazing stories about the air raid sirens going off, and she and her sister were hold hands and run into the tube, which was the air raid shelter. I particularly remember one day where she grabbed her sister's hand and they were halfway there and then ran back because they had forgotten their lipstick and they were going to see guys in the air raid shelter and then made it safely back to the tube. And that's what journals do. They preserve these stories for next generations. And we are all living through such personal challenges and personal grief and personal fears, and we're going through it with our dogs. And these stories get lost. They won't be in the history books. These little touches of what it was really, really like. It's a beautiful book. And and I'm sure Scruffy, which is the name of the book, will be available everywhere. It is available through Amazon, of course. You can go to directly to, there's a Scruffy website. I can tell you that uh, we earn a little bit more money if you buy it directly from us. All that information is available at www.scruffybook.com. Shelly Ross, thank you. This is delightful. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. The Long Leash is a new show on the Fledgling Dog Podcast Network. If you love dogs and you love podcasts, I hope you'll visit us at dogpodcastnetwork.com and learn more about what we have currently and what we're planning. You can also learn about our 101 Dog Stories contest with over $15,000 in prize money. If you like The Long Leash, I hope you will subscribe to it in your favorite podcast app. And please tell a friend about the show. Of course, we're on all the social channels as well as YouTube and Spotify. The website, again, with all the links and details, is dogpodcastnetwork.com. I'm James Jacobson, and I want to thank you for listening today. 
And on behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, we wish you and your dog a warm aloha. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now, on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.